Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, once again, <laughs> David's life continues to be complicated by relationships and, and, and relationships and relatives. That's the only R word. Relationships and relatives and his own personal struggles as a as a king and and as a father and as a husband and as a diplomat it's uh it's not an easy thing to be a leader and even though you you may have a lot less responsibility than the king of a country it doesn't take away from the fact that there are there are times that you have to figure out a way to deal with things without turning it into an issue or stress for the entire uh, government or the entire company or the entire ministry team or the entire body of believers, church people that are with you or school people that you're with or classmates, whatever. Like, There's ways to do that. And I'm not saying David didn't have people that he trusted and interacted with. I think he probably did. It's it's just when he lost Absalom, he really thought that this was a national day of mourning. He just misinterpreted the moment, which is fine. He's it's fine. He's not perfect. We get that. We know that. He just misinterpreted the moment and instead of and instead of everyone real you know thinking everyone's going to be so sad that his son, this beautiful, amazing a uh, specimen of a man is dead. Most people were like, yeah, we're fine with it. Like the guy was a jerk. He was cunning and deceitful and clearly wanted to kill you and kill us. So yeah, we're, we're not really sorry about this. And honestly, we should have all seen it coming and probably left him in exile. So David puts his, puts his, big boy pants on and he goes down to the gate and he starts greeting people and, and doing the appropriate thing, which is honoring those who were willing to give their life for him and to protect him. You know, sometimes, you, I mean, you may not have a group of people who are literally in battle for you, but you do have people who battle for you. And even though things may not turn out the way that you would like them to, you still can honor those who fought for you. Now, whether that's a, a, you know, position of promotion or just uh, narrating or facilitating a conversation between you and your siblings or you and your parents or you and your boss or like whatever that little battle might be. But for you, it's a big thing given your circumstances, but it didn't quite turn out the way you wanted to. Don't turn that opportunity to honor those who fought for you into, into an expectation that everyone's going to be sad that it didn't turn out perfect. Take the opportunity to be a good leader. And that's what David ultimately did. And he did so because he got encouragement from Joab. So the next verse, verse 9. Now this, uh, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a bunch of verses, but just trust me. There is a lot of time and a lot of activity that takes place in these things. So we'll break them down. So verse 9. Throughout the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing amongst themselves, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the head, hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled the country to escape from Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? 
And King David sent messengers a message to Zadok and Abathar, the priest, Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last ones to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters? You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood. Why, do, why should you be the last ones to bring me back as king? And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for, the, for life in the place of Joab. And he won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all one mind. And they sent word to the king, return, you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as Jordan. Now the men in Jordan had come from Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Uh, should I stop there? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, no. Shishimi, son of Garza, the Benjamite from Baharam, hurried down to with, the, with the men of Judah to meet the king. And, and with him were, were a thousand Benjamites, along with Zibia, the steward of Saul's household and the 15 sons and 20 servants and they rushed to the Jordan where the king was and they crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and do whatever he wished when Shimei son of Gera crossed the Jordan he fell down before the king and said to him mighty the Lord not hold me guilty do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day that you left the king left Jerusalem may the king put it out of his mind for I your servant know that I've sinned but today I have come here as the first from the tribe of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. And then there was a they, oh, okay. Well, yeah, we'll stop there because there's a lot. There's trust me, we've we've covered a lot. <laughs> so we start back in verse nine throughout the tribes of Israel. So we the, the storyline divides the nation again. So the Israel the idea of Israel right is the ten northern tribes. These are Saul's people. These are Benjamites and everybody up around them. And when it says that the people were arguing amongst themselves, these are the average people. And they're they're going to their leadership. So in the villages, at the city gates, at the village gates, uh, you know, at the at the elders' home, you have average people saying, what's going on? Why aren't we bringing the king back? And when they talk about the king, they're talking about David. What What's going on? We should do this. We should acknowledge, I mean, I, well, what they're saying when they say, let's bring the king back is they're saying, let's acknowledge the fact that we were disloyal, which is really a, a pretty big act of humility. It's, it's, they want their elders to go to David and say, hey, we got it wrong. We got caught up in the idealism of a young leader. We got caught up in the passion of politics. We forgot our loyalties and we lined up with somebody who seemed to have a lot of momentum. We made a mistake. They want him wait, when you bring back the king you ask for forgiveness. When you bring back the king, you're asking to renew the original covenant that they had made as elders with King David when he when he took over, when he came up out of out of Hebron and took over the palace. Uh, be, well, before they took over Jerusalem, he's saying, they're, 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 I mean, this is this is a big. When they say, why haven't we brought the king back? They're they're asking. They're saying, why haven't we to acknowledged the fact that we were not. Uh, loyal. Why haven't we asked forgiveness? 
for our disloyalty? Why why haven't we made reparations and repair the covenant that we originally took with David? We should be expressing new loyalty, renewed loyalty to David. And let's, in essence, let's see what happened. They're, they're saying, listen, he... He fled the country because of Absalom. We we followed Absalom. We rule, you know, we anointed him to rule over us, but he's dead. So why say nothing about bringing him back? And, by, and that's a great phrase to basically say, what's the worst that could happen? Let's apologize. Let's be humble. Let's tell him we'll be loyal to you again. We're sorry about this. I mean, what, how bad could it get? We already are as disloyal as you can be. Like we, we've already crossed so many about so many lines, so many boundaries at this point. Our best option, really our only option, is to be humble and ask forgiveness, and tell them we'll never let it happen again. So all of this is going on uh, in the northern tribes. And then you have um, <laughs> okay. So within all of those people, right? You've got you've got you're going to have different groups that are also vying for power. Why? Because there's a ton of instability, instability, instability in the government. Leaders, families within the villages are trying to get loyal to David, and get rid of the ones who supported Absalom. So that is also implied and and uh, nuanced in the language here. You've got people that are, like, let's, let's say you were in a village of, I don't know, a couple thousand people, and your village elder, elders or your city elders pledged allegiance to Absalom. And when Absalom took over in Jerusalem, the trumpet sounded and everybody's like, we have a new king, the king is Absalom. And the elders are like, we we are loyal to Absalom. And all the village people are like, oh, okay, okay. I guess we're with Absalom now. And then they hear, well, Absalom's going to take on David. David's run from, the, run from the country. He's 25 miles away in this fortified city. But Absalom's putting together a huge army and the Army gathers and they all they all leave and then then the army is kind of coming back but coming back in pieces bits and pieces and people are like it was a horrible battle nobody knew what was going on Absalom was a terrible leader he ended up being killed buried there in the battlefield Joab you know was there and all of his all of his guards the ten guards they all stabbed him it was it was a horrific ending. And we're all here. We're hoping David doesn't know that that we were part of the battle. Like, don't tell anybody that we we went. So then, now within those villages, within within that little city, you now have other family leaders who have been vying for power, playing politics, who immediately call for the resignation, so to speak, of the elders that led them into rebellion against David. They call into question their their wisdom. They call into question their leadership. They call into question their family line. They, they, they like every little mistake that was made. Every time there was a rebellious child within their family line, they say, "See, you know, I I'd be a better leader. I'd be a better elder, and I would pledge loyalty to David." 
So not only do you have the people saying, let's, you know, like, what's the worst that could happen? Let's be humble. Let's be, let's ask for forgiveness. Let's see what happens when we go to David and renew our covenant with him. And you've got people that are like, yes, not only will I do that, but we will, you know, I'll take over this. I'll take over leadership of the, of the city. I'll take over leadership of the, of the village. You need me in charge of things. Let's, let's remove this family, this, this dishonorable family, this unwise, undiscerning uh, leader who clearly was caught up in the in the moment, was distracted by the beauty of Absalom and uh, by the deception of of Ahithophel, and and we're just gonna we're I'll be a much better leader. Like the they're playing politics. So I I, I bring it up only because I want you to understand. Like this is this this little rebellion that occurred in this in the nation is huge. It's it's begging. It's it's begging to be lit on fire. Uh, it's it's a uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like kindling, like the starter wood with kerosene on top of it. Like it's just man. It is so. If you had static electricity, this thing would light on fire. That's that's how tight this is getting. So David's inner, David's David's response is going to be really really important really important because one unwise move not that it would be wrong because there's lots of choices he can make and they're not all wrong choices but if he doesn't make the wisest decision then he's going to like the 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 ramifications in the country is going to be felt for years. So David has this this moment, this this not this moment, but he gets the information, right? It says that the information is coming back to him in the in the next verses. King David sent the message to Zadok and Abathar, the priest. Ask the elders of Judah, why should why should you be last in to bring the king back to his palace? Since it's being said throughout Israel, the northern tribes what they're saying has reached me here at the quarters. Like it's it's come across the Jordan all the way to where I'm at. They're sending messengers. I'm getting information that the northern tribes want to do whatever they can to connect with me. That they're willing to ask forgiveness, to renew covenants, to like they're they're showing humility. They're desperate. I get it. But at least they're doing it. David's like we're. Where's the South? Where are my people? Literally, where's my family? Why haven't you come up here? What? Where's, like, we're blood. These guys are all basically, they've always been loyal to Saul. Judah, you took me in from the wilderness. You put me in as king at Hebron. You followed me for seven years while the, while the northern ten tribes tried to figure out another way to bring us Saul's relative into into authority. They battled me in civil war for for seven years. You were loyal to me. You showed me such such honor and devotion as family. And now, you, where are you? Nobody sent me a message from the south. Nothing. Where's the south? Where what? Where, where's the south? So he sends both priests. Both priests. He's like, you're my relatives. Your family, why are you the last ones to call me? 
And he says to Amasa, Amasa, which, if you remember, he was the uh, he was the commander that Absalom put in charge. And he says to Amasa, basically gives him a promotion without really ever seeing him. I mean, I know he knows him, but he's a nephew of David. He was Absalom's general. Now, keep this in mind. What was the general's job? His job was to kill David. His number one priority, amass the army, kill David. Remember? Because the plan, if, if you go all the way back, a number of podcasts ago, right? The plan from, uh, from uh, Hushi was put together this massive army, go after David regardless of where he's at, fall on them like the you know the dew of the morning or rain of the of the rain it was a lot fall on them completely and they will scatter and leave David and then you know then you can kill him that was that was the plan the plan was always kill David Amasa was David's nephew so he's going after his uncle remember of course Joab's also an uncle uh, a nephew and so is uh, Abishai, who is also a nephew. So these are all direct relatives of David. And David says to him, I'm going to put you in charge of my army. Right? We're family. If you come back, I'll forgive you. I will forget your lack of loyalty. I will forget that your job was to kill me. And I will give you a new place. I will give you a new start. I will put you in a place of leadership. I will put you in a place of government influence. I will put you at the table next to me as my commander and chief of all armies. I'm going to... <laughs> You're like, what happened to Joab? Yeah, Joab's getting demoted in this message. That's the bottom line. And he's letting everyone know. Now... Joab made a choice out in, the, out in the field to kill Absalom. David knows that that was Joab's choice. He also knows that everybody knew not to kill Absalom. And he doesn't go after Joab. He just demotes him. And he lets everyone know, yeah, I've got a new, I've got a new general. I'm, I'm hiring a guy who actually was out to kill me. I'm going to move Joab over. You know what? This is, the, this is not the first time that Joab's kind of gone off the rails when it came to things I've asked him to do. He's kind of, uh, you know, periodically he just kind of goes off and does his own thing. He doesn't see the big picture. He, he kind of stays mm, focused, right? We've talked about that about Joab. He's a good friend to... He's been a good friend. He's been through a lot with David. He he's had he's had these moments of you know direct incredible influence in David's uh, journey and in his uh, in his life. I mean he's he's made he's helped David make life altering choices and 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 helped David make the right one. Pretty impressive. But he's always kind of had this seed of rebellion. And he, he, David doesn't think Joab really understood what Absalom was, was trying to do. He doesn't see that Absalom was really trying to communicate to David, 
you let me down as a father. You let me down as a defender of the innocent. You let me down as a defender of my sister. And I have to step up and do what's right. And I shouldn't have that role. You should have taken care of this. Now, I know Absalom had all kinds of problems. I do. As far as like his, his integrity. And, and the, I mean, the level of deception that this guy was able to operate under is crazy. And the level, of, uh, uh, you know, that deception was woven into politics. So his manipulation of people and his, his uh, uh, ability to take advantage of, the, of his role as, uh, as a prince, pretty impressive. But David tied it all back to, uh, you know, a larger uh, picture of family that Absalom was really um, trying to correct in his own twisted way. Joab didn't get that. And David, despite all what Absalom did, really believed that somewhere in there, if he had had another chance, he could have made things right for Absalom. But that's often the case, right? Often the case with people who have fallen far short in areas. They keep wanting to reset. They keep saying, let's forget the past and let's move on. Like, let's not deal with what I've done wrong. Let's pretend everything was okay. Wow, and that is that is not a pattern that ever works. It just doesn't. I understand why you want the pattern. I do. That makes perfect sense because, well, <laughs> if, uh, if you take on that pattern, you don't ever have to deal with things. And it certainly seems a lot easier. But you still deal with it. it. It weighs you down. You're carrying around a package that turns into a box, that turns into a backpack, that turns into a, you know, a cart, and pretty soon you're trying to haul a freaking airplane on your back, and it's not going to work. It's, it's not going to work. But David had that mindset. Joab missed that. So he's, he, he sends this message to Amasa or Mesa. And, and it says he won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all of one mind and they sent word to the king, return to return you and all your men. So the level of mercy that David is showing is huge because not only if, if he shows mercy to Amasa, he's, he's letting everyone know that everyone that served under Amasa will also be given mercy. You see, if he reached down the ranks and picked somebody who wasn't part of the leadership clan, if he wanted to remove Joab and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick somebody who's never actually rebelled against me to be my new leader, who's never, you know, we, we have, we, 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 maybe, maybe we're related, but we've never had a, a crossword. We've never, he's never been in rebellion. He could have looked around him at a number of commanders and loyal uh, warriors that he could have pointed to and said, you know what? Love Joab, been through a lot with Joab, but he's no longer commander-in-chief because I can't have him going off the rails anymore. I'm going to put you in command. How about Benaiah? Benaiah's, Benaiah's been with David for years. He's been the captain of the king's guard for years. Loyal, uh, one of David's mighty men. This, this man has such integrity. He could have easily said, Joab, you need to step aside. I'm putting Benaiah in charge. And Joab probably would have thought, okay, I'm, I, you're right. You know, you're right. I, I deserve that. 
I'm not sorry for what I've done, but I deserve that. I can totally see Joab responding that way. I mean, I'm sure he would have said it in more words. But he would have said it. He would have been okay with it. But instead, being the ever-wise diplomat, David reaches out to the commander of the army that was out to kill him. And he says, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to promote you to the commander of my armies. And by doing so, David knows that all the leadership that came under him also know will, will receive that mercy. Like they get it. They get it. David is reaching out to everyone saying, guys, you don't have to fear me. I'm not coming in with a sword. I'm not coming in with a hammer. I am not coming in with Joab. Joab likes the hammer. I'm not coming in with Joab. As a matter of fact, I'm replacing him with one of your own. Because I'm going to show love and trust and mercy. And because of that, it's really Amasa who's, who brings David's case to the elders and the leaders of Judah. Because Amasa was showed love and loyalty, he goes to David and he says, or he goes to the leaders and he explains everything and he moves the leaders of Judah to welcome David and they do. They, Amasa's loyalty to David, right? Okay, so he's showing forgiveness and kindness to David because David is showing forgiveness and kindness to everyone, including the leaders who had supported and fought for Absalom, who had sent their sons to fight for Absalom. So that evidently was why Judah hadn't been stepping in to ask forgiveness is because they lived in fear, because they were relatives, because they were so close, because, because they had shown such loyalty before and had been duped by Absalom and Ahithophel. They were very fearful that they had crossed the line for, the, for, for forgiveness. Now Israel, the northern ten tribes were kind of like, hey, like, what's the worst could happen? We rebelled against them for seven years. He took us back. We rebelled against them again. Why not ask for forgiveness? Like, I, like, what's, so he hates us. Like, none of us, well, none of them were probably thoroughly convinced that David liked them anyways, which wasn't true, but, but they kept thinking, they kept waiting for a hammer to drop. So Absalom kind of gave them this out. Like, okay, we can, we can rebel against David, the one who killed Saul, the one who took our, our, you know, leader. And of course they blamed him for the death of Saul's son, who had also been crowned king by the North, Northern Ten Tribes, remember? But that was actually done by two raiding thieves. And David killed them. And remember, they had also lost their, their general, Abner, to Joab. But as far as they were concerned, this was David's doing. So there, were, there was always some tension with the top, with the top ten tribes. The Northern Ten Tribes... So the fact that they were kind of like, you know what, let's just ask forgiveness and move on. Like we, we already have a sordid history with David as our king, and, and he's been good. I mean, and they remind their elders of this. He's the one who really delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. He's, he's rescued us from all of our enemies. They're, like we've lived in peace. He did not wipe out all the families who supported you know, Saul. He did not uh, take out. All the elders who had supported the, the Saul's son, Mephibosheth. No. 
Was that his name? I can't remember. Wasn't it? Anyways, that, I'll move on. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, people are like, why does he do this? He should do his own research. I know. I know. I leave too much up to my memory because I keep thinking, oh, I'll, I'll remember. Of course you will, Bob. Anyways, doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but you get my point. That's what I meant to say. Uh, Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson through Jonathan. Okay. Anyways, so who was who was the guy who reigned in uh, Gilead when David was in Hebron? I don't see. I'm not remembering. Okay. The little engineer in my head is saying, Bob, find a way to transition out of this because you are really in a rabbit hole you can't get out of. Find a way out, Bob. I will. I'll read a verse. The hearts of the men of Judah are turned by Amasa, who receives mercy, and he in turn communicates that mercy and forgiveness that he received. He communicates it in person as well as in symbol from David. The men of Judah respond, and they're like, okay, let's go see him. So they, the men of Judah, they come to Gilgal. They go out to meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. But along with them are all these guys from the northern tribe. This is this is kind of uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So uh, you could call it. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's sorry. I just I have this visual in my head. Let me just explain to you. So. So the ten tribes of Israel send uh, northern Israel. They send all their all their leadership down to the to the Jordan to welcome David. They're waiting for David to come, but David's not coming to the Jordan until until Judah and the southern two tribes welcome him back. So he finally gets word from the from the southern tribes. Okay, we appreciate your forgiveness. We appreciate your mercy. We get it. You're an amazing leader. Come on home. We'll all be there to greet you. And so here from the south come these two tribes of Judah. Well, the northern ten tribes were the first ones that were there to welcome David. So now what? what well, now the southern tribes show up. And they're all like, well, we're, we're David's relatives. We're his blood. We're family. And the northern ten tribes are like, no, 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 no. We were first. We were first. So there's like this uh, real tense, awkward, almost right on the verge of civil war about to break out right there at the, at the river. It's, it's pretty crazy. And that's what we got to get into right here. So I give you that to, so you understand kind of the what's going on. Now, the men of Judah came from Gilgal to meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. By bring him across the Jordan, we're talking, we're talking like literally they wanted to carry everything for David, like in a, in a show of honor and respect and, and welcoming and, and uh, hospitality. Like, the, and I don't know if you've ever been to to the Middle East or if, or if you've ever traveled even to some third world countries when when you walk in and they want to honor somebody like they'll just they'll grab everything from you and try and carry it 
Even stuff you don't want them to carry. Stuff you don't need them to carry. They want to carry it. And it's a by letting them carry it, you're letting them know, like we, like I, I love and honor you. But they're trying to, you know, their their first goal is to love and honor you first. It's oh, it's, it's it's fun. They can get a little crazy. It gets you a little nervous, especially if, right, if you don't speak the language and you're clearly the guy from America. You're not sure what they're doing because they're grabbing at everything. Well, David wouldn't have had that because, of course, he's the king, and and the culturally he would have been used to this. So. So here comes the the people from Judah show up. They want to they want to carry everything of David. The people from Israel want to carry everything from David. So Shimei, the the son of Gera, the Benjamite from that city, hurries down with the men of Judah to meet the king. With him were a thousand Benjamites. Remember, that's a tribe of Saul, along with Zibiah, the steward of Saul's household. So Zibiah has been honored so many times by David. Like he kind of holds a place of of eldership in the tribe of Benjamin. Even though technically we would say, well he's well he's just a servant. Well, yeah, but as hmm, really powerful one. This is like in in American business, this would be like there's a there's a board of directors, right? That would be the elders of Israel. But there's one guy on the board who's worked him, worked his way up through the company and everybody knows that if you get him on your side like stuff's going to happen and if he's not on your on your side odds are mm, your plans might get a little frustrated might take a little longer to get things accomplished if Zippy is with you like it's a big it's a big freaking deal it's going it, to things are going to move so a thousand People, Benjamites are with them. That's a thousand people. So it's not, you know, it's not like a dozen guys, you know, one one elder from each little tribe. It's a thousand people just from the tribe of Benjamin to greet David, and they're all vying for something to carry across the river. Old people, young people, middle-aged people, they're all stomping, sloshing their way across the fords to try and grab something or someone, carry the women, carry the children, carry the sandals, carry the baskets, carry the cakes, carry the, the heck, they probably wanted to carry the donkeys. Like it just, this, this is, this is, this is crazy. Imagine coming to a crowd of several thousand, because we, we have a thousand people just from the, just, you know, just from the, the top 10 tribes. Oh, the top ten. I keep doing that, right? The northern ten tribes. It's it's pretty crazy. It, it's a pretty crazy scene. It's funny to me in some ways to think about it. Because they're all playing politics. And David knows what's going on. He understands. He understands. They're they're all basically fighting to show that they're the most loyal. They're the most supportive of what's going on. Uh, so... Uh, what else happens? Oh, so um, Shemi, he crosses the Jordan. He falls before the king. Now, I, I stop there to bring this up. This means things are happening, happening slow. David is letting the process move uh, purposefully. He's not trying to rush the process. Why? Because he knows that the, that the whole country is on the verge of civil war. He knows that everyone who's greeting him 
has been disloyal. Everyone who greeted him has has turned their back on him. Everyone there has has ignored his call for help. And in doing so, David knows he needs to take the moment to let everyone there process his arrival to you know in the quick little Amer- uh, translation right to bring back the king this is not something that's going to happen quickly so Shimei comes and he lays down before the king and he basically pleads for mercy because he knows he knows that he has a reputation right he has a story that on David's way out of Jerusalem he's the one who didn't just once curse David, but continually cursed David and threw rocks at David and threw dust and dirt on David's men. And David's men wanted to kill Shemi. And David was like, nope, let him curse me. If his job is to curse me, let him curse me. It's no, you know, this is not your battle. But we're just going to let that go. So Shimmy comes. I mean, honestly, he's, he's probably dreaded this for the last month while all of this information and all these messengers are running back and forth. And he knows David's coming back. And in order, order, blah, 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 in order to come back to Jerusalem, he's got to walk right by Shemi's house again. He's going to be walking right down the path that, that Shemi had met him on and started throwing rocks at him and dust on him and cursing him and telling him he deserved all this and that he had killed Saul and and you know had taken innocent blood and oh man it it, it just it, this that was a bad scene everybody everybody knew about it so he makes a very public display of asking for forgiveness which i think is appropriate so many people who want to you know who 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 are offensive in public want to want to apologize in private they say something they cut somebody down they humiliate them publicly, whether it's at a party or, you know, a reception or, you know, in the break room or on the job. They shout some things. They say some things that are hurtful and mean and everybody laughs. Or maybe no one does, but it's said. And then later they want to kind of meet on the side. They want to meet in secret and they want to or they want to send a text, say, hey, yeah, sorry, uh, you know, will you forgive me? But Shemi decides he's going to ask forgiveness. He's going to do it publicly. He's going to let everyone know that what I did was inappropriate. And that's what he said. I have sinned. But I've come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph, northern northern tribes, to come down and meet the Lord my king. Now, when he says he came first, I, you know, I kind of, I, I don't know, in my head, I picture him kind of pushing his way, shoving his way, splashing across the river first. He gets up there. He I mean, everybody who had walked out of Jerusalem know who knows who he is. They see him coming there. I'm sure Abishai is probably looking at him thinking, what, what's this idiot going to do now? Is he going to try and kill David now? You kind of picture Abishai like grabbing his sword, looking at him, and he just he falls on his face before David. He's just humble, and he cries out to him. And what does Abishai say? He's like, uh, let me kill him. <laughs> Okay, he said, shouldn't Shimmy be put to death for this? Which is his way of saying, let me kill him. I got him. Great, he's asked forgiveness. Now let him die. Because he cursed you. We all know he cursed you. We were all there, David. We know what this guy was. He did not relent. 
It wasn't just an emotional response. He was coming at you, and he came at you for a while until literally he got tired of chasing us. No, let me kill him. And David says, I don't think this has anything to do with you. You don't have any right to interfere in this one. Should anyone be put to death today in Israel? Don't I know that today I'm king over Israel? So the king said to Shemi, you're not going to die. And he promised him on on an oath. He said, I'm not going to have you killed. I'm not going to kill you. No, we're not going to kill you. In other words, I accept your forgiveness. It was, it was a huge sign of mercy, again, to all the elders. You remember, all the elders of the ten tribes are there. Thousands of people are watching this. All the people that left Jerusalem are getting their cues from David. All the men that fought for David are getting their cues from David. We are not here to kill and destroy those who rebelled against against me. We're not here to seek and destroy. We're here to heal and extend mercy. That's what we're here to do. This is this is pretty huge. Then Mephibosheth, uh, <laughs> that name keeps coming back to haunt me. Saul's grandson also went down to meet the king. Remember now, he didn't go out with the king. Zibia met the king with with donkeys and supplies and he said you know you need you need something to ride you need food and drink to to make it through your journey and david remember he gave he's like where's mephibosheth and he's like he's still at the palace so everyone assumed that he was uh, loyal to absalom so david gave all the property that had belonged to jonathan Mephibosheth's father, he's like, I give it all to you. If I come back, it all belongs to you. And Mephibosheth goes to him and he says, uh, it says he had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he returned safely. So this, these are months. Now it says he, he hadn't taken care of his feet, evidently because he had to drag his feet. They were, of course, constantly dirty and uh, probably scabbed over and he often probably had to change the wraps on them so that so that they didn't get bloody and he needed them washed all the time but as a sign of loyalty to David he did not do that and he promised never to do it until David became crowned king again in the palace he said, I didn't, I didn't do this from the day you left until you returned safely. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me? So Mephibosheth went all the way down, miles, which isn't always an easy journey for somebody who can't walk. And he says, I, I show, listen, I was loyal to you. I know I didn't follow you for all kinds of reasons, but I made a commitment to show my loyalty to you. And he said, uh, because I, I, your servant, I'm lame. I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Zibia, ooh, Zibia's in trouble. Wait, what? Zibia betrayed me. And he slandered your servant to the Lord, my king. 
The Lord, the king, is like an angel of God. Do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from the king, but you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So so what is what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? Wow. So he basically says, Zibia brought you one brought the donkey that I want I had saddled to follow you. I wanted to go with you. But I was betrayed. I showed up at the you know the stables, all the donkeys are gone. My servant took them all. He betrayed me. He left me behind. But you know what? I shouldn't have even been in the palace. Because if you had been a normal king, if you had been a normal leader, I would have died along with everyone else who was associated with Saul. But you didn't kill everybody because you're not a normal king. And you're, you, are like, you are like an angel of God. So do whatever you want. Do, do whatever you choose. I trust your judgment. You judge between me and Zibia. And Zibia said, all right. Uh, uh, King said, all right. You and Zibia will divide the land. Because David couldn't deny the loyalty that Zibia gave him. And Mephibosheth says, you know what? Just let him have it all. I'm so glad that you're home. I'm so glad that you're back. I'm so glad that you're king. I will live out my days with you. I don't need fields. I don't need livestock. I don't need houses. I'll just hang out at the palace. It's pretty awesome. It's a pretty awesome response because he could have taken half. He could have worked things out with Zibia. Zibia had, you know, 15 sons and 20 servants and had, as you know, had become quite the leader in the tribe of Benjamin. Mephibosheth knew that. He had an opportunity here to belittle Zibia. He, he, he explained to everybody what had happened. Everybody understood what, what had happened. They looked to Zibia. Zibia's, you know, down a few notches now in people's opinion poll. And they watched how Mephibosheth was going to behave, and he behaved like he saw David behave. He basically reminded himself and everybody there that David was a man of mercy, a man of kindness, a man of loyalty, a man of family. And he said, you know what? I don't, I don't need all that stuff. I don't have any children to pass it on to anyways. It's all going to end up to be Zibia's. It's all going to go to his kids. Let him have it. Just let him have it now. I'm good with that. I'll, just, I'll stay with you at the palace. I'll eat at the family table. I'll hang out with you. Because honestly, you're the one I was loyal to from the beginning. And had my donkey been in the stable, I would have rode out with you. But it wasn't. So I did my own little protest in the palace and man do i smell whoo doggy do i need a shower or at least a bath in some stinky oil smelly smelly essential oil bob essential yes that's right yes we need essential oils essential oils yes frankincense myrrh um eucalyptus a little uh little little rose hip Little little lemon lemon zest. Oh yeah, we'll be smelling great. Mephibosheth will be smelling amazing. Okay, between you and me, I think I've said his name like six times perfectly because I haven't been thinking about it. I'm hoping I don't have to say it again. <laughs> so getting back to the the throne in Jerusalem is taking a while. But a, but the reason why it's taking a while is because 
relationships take time. And, and healing relationships take time. That's really what I see here. David, David, you know, in the rebellion, there was broken relationships. There were relationships that, relationships that had been broken for a while. And David didn't recognize it. And David's taking his time going back to the palace because he knows that relationships with the country have been broken or at least injured. There's been offenses and hurt uh, uh, precipitated on both sides uh, by multiple tribes to one another, as well as to him and his men and his wives and his concubines. David knows that this is not a flippant thing. He's not going to ride in on his white horse and take over the palace. Remember, he left the palace in a rush. He left the palace, like you can get dethroned real easy, but getting rethroned can take some time. He needs to rebuild connection. He needs to rebuild relationship. And and it, intuitively, I think David understands, I can't just walk in and say, all right, everyone's forgiven. Uh, I've shown mercy. Let's get Let's get on with it. He's letting the process take place. He's letting people vie for power. He's letting them all run across the fords uh, trying to grab something and carry across the river. He's he's letting the north and the south interact with one another and kind of compete because he knows, listen, we, we need each other. We're going to need to work together. We need to figure this out. He's, he grants forgiveness to Shemi for his curses against him. He withholds death from Shemi because he had cursed him. He reaches out to Mephibosheth and and listens to his story and 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 accepts his explanation that maybe maybe Mephibosheth did want to come with him maybe he did get left behind maybe Zibia wasn't loyal you know what let's just forgive it let's let's I, I let it be said you and Zibia can work it out and instead of negotiating uh, the the split Mephibosheth just pours out mercy just like David did he responds to leadership and that's so true in life right you can take the lead in a relationship and you can say all right let's work this out now I do understand some some relationships you the first thing you need to work out is some really strict boundaries because they're they're hurtful toxic relationships this had turned into a toxic relationship but both sides are at least showing willingness to work at it both sides and David David is feeding that he is releasing energy to that rebuilding process now between you and me uh, I'm gonna go ahead and end, end this because it's already been like almost an hour but <laughs> it you know it doesn't always go smooth even if you're both willing it doesn't always it doesn't always go smooth but we'll get into that next week. Guys, thanks so much for joining me once again on the Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.